You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. All right, so we'll get to this in a few minutes. The, there is a, a fast food chain in America that may be contributing to our state of angst in ways that they, they probably shouldn't be. Uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, Alden Gonzalez from ESPN, Andy, is going to be joining us at 10.15, so about 15 minutes from now, talking about what's going on with Major League Baseball. Um, but you know, we just had Michael Lee on, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. And, Andy, we had Michael Lee on from The Athletic, talking about the the restart uh, of the NBA and some of these questions around the best way to message and to reinforce the... the Really, I mean, the kind of, it feels unprecedented to me, the amount of people who are listening and the, the, the empowerment that athletes know that they have. Like, I... Th- it's been trending this way, Andy, but there's been a tipping point where it's not just, like, the stars now. It's all of these guys, I think, understand the the influence that they have and their willingness to use it. Yeah. I mean, it, this is something that, you know, for a long time, athletes were not in a position to do this without facing a lot of blowback. I mean, for you know, forget. Or certainly LeBron. without the fear of it. Like, there was right. a, I mean, incredible fear. Right. I mean, you know, forget just the recency with, you know, LeBron and Kevin Durant and Lauren Ingram and shut up and dribble. I mean, we're, we're not that far removed from Steve Nash taking a ton of heat when he expressed um, his opinion against the Iraq war in the, in the early 2000s. Or, you know, the, the reticence that LeBron James actually had about a decade or so ago to speak out um, about the genocide in Darfur when uh, uh, Ira Newble was a tr- uh, former Lakers. Yes. People may remember him. He was part of the 2008 team. Uh, when he was a member of the Cavaliers, he was trying to raise awareness of that situation in Darfur and trying to get NBA players to uh, sign an open letter that he sent to the Chinese government. And LeBron at the time, and to be fair to LeBron, he was only 22 at the time, was among the only Cavaliers who was uncomfortable signing the letter. And then to his credit, he eventually came around and lent support to Ira Newble. And people may remember Kobe was among the the stars, uh, Tracy McGrady, who Steve Nash, who eventually took part in a PSA. But that at the time, and that was only a decade right. ago, was considered pretty dicey territory for players. And there's obviously there is no example of a player the the risk involved in taking a strong and and controversial stance than than Colin Kaepernick. And you know, 2016 with his kneeling during the anthem, which started off and like what's, what's amazing about this is people forget many people forget that it didn't start off as a protest where he knelt on the sidelines. He just kind of sat down on the bench during the anthem. He didn't talk about it. He didn't make a thing out of it. It wasn't, and it was only after you remember Andy, they had that little like spotlighted thing that like they make the rest of it. And then here's the little spotlight on the grainy photo of Colin Kaepernick sitting on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Like that's how this all began. And then he goes and he tries to, you know, he talks to a Navy SEAL and he go and he, he does this to try to find a way to, what is the most respectful way that I can express myself 
uh, on the sideline, be there, and, and, and you get to kneeling. For that, he was essentially, the NFL tacitly admits last week, blackballed from the league. Like, that mm-hmm. was what kept him out of the league. They didn't say as much, but at the very least, the NFL came out and admitted that they were wrong in how they handled his protest. And that they haven't been listening to players. One of the things, yeah, correct. One of the things that most remarkable moments was that moment where Roger Goodell responded to the video. We talked about it last week on the show that was put out by Pat Mahomes and Ezekiel Elliott and, and, uh, Saquon uh, Barkley, uh, Deshaun Watson, Saquon Barkley, Deshaun Watson, uh, Odell Beckham, like all of these guys. And what they said, here's what we want you to say. And Roger Goodell hours later said it more or less. That was a remarkable moment. And it has been followed in a lot of ways by questions about whether or not Colin Kaepernick should be put back in the league. Bill Plaschke wrote a column about a lot of players are talking about where do you kind of come down on this issue of whether or not it's a where part of the 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 making right the NFL needs to do going forward is making sure that Colin Kaepernick has an opportunity to be on an NFL roster. Um, I will preface this by saying I have no issue with Colin Kaepernick being on a roster. I thought he should have been on a roster a long time ago. I thought that he was clearly being blackballed. Right. Yes. And, you know, in the beginning when people were saying, well, we he's coming off a down year, we don't know, is he really starting material? Yes, he is. I mean, we don't know. We don't truly know how good he is now. He's been out of the league since 2016. But that being said, you know, the idea of Kaepernick being on a roster, in a vacuum, I'm absolutely for. I feel like, though, people are asking the wrong question. Because at this point, the idea of trying to do right by Kaepernick, trying to make him whole for what he endured through all this, I don't think putting him on a roster truly addresses it. But B, I think it lets the NFL off too easily. Because if, say, you give him a tryout now, First of all, he's going to make the team. You cannot bring him in without and not put him on a roster. You cannot cut him unless he is just an absolute train wreck, and it's obvious he can't play football anymore. You can't you can't bring him in without putting him on a roster. So you start wondering, okay, how much of this is virtue signaling? How much of this is just trying to put out, hey, Kaepernick's on a roster. Now let's forget about the idea that we stole his prime from him. Because there are very few rosters that you can look at right now and say that Colin Kaepernick would be the entrenched starter. A, because you don't know how good he is. And B, most quarter, most teams have either an established quarterback or they have somebody young that they're grooming. So where he actually makes sense, I think, is questionable. So the idea well, that uh, but I, 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 he's not – it's not like Cam Newton. Like you put Cam Newton behind a young, uh, a young starting quarterback – that's problematic because the minute Newton steps on the roster, it's, it's like, it's he, like to... he's breathing down the neck of that guy. But, Kaepernick, but... because he hasn't played since 2016, the odds of him coming in and being an immediate threat to the young starter that you're trying to it's, groom, it's, but the, I think but the is point... not as big of a deal. Right, but that, that it's not that he'd be a threat. It's that he's not going to play. So in a lot of ways, him being on the roster becomes decorative because, again, you stole the dude's prime. You took his prime best years. So the opportunity for him to actually get on the field feels limited. And that's right. why I feel like well, this he's going to be a backup. If he plays, that's why he's I, a backup. Right. And that's why I feel in a lot of ways this is the wrong question to be asking. And it's the wrong question in part 
because you're let you're potentially allowing the NFL to let itself off the hook. Mm-hmm. To me, the correct thing to do if you want to do right by Kaepernick, if you're the NFL, is you bring him in to that coalition that the NFL started with Jay Z, that was you know in part uh, about NFL entertainment, but also ostensibly about addressing social issues. And you bring Colin Kaepernick into that tent, and you give him a major voice. You let him lead it. You make him one of the central figures there. That's the way you make right by this. That's the way you actually show that you're listening to Kaepernick. That's the way you show, I think, even, and I think some players may not even, is my opinion, but I think some players may actually be missing, I think at least, the best way to show that you actually hear Kaepernick, that you actually are hearing these players I think that's the best way to, do, to show that you are serious because it's, I just, it's, it's a good way. I don't know, but I, I, like he, those two things though aren't mutually exclusive. He they're not be, mutually he can be exclusive. On a roster, he can be on a roster, but I think the problem is he can't have the same type of capacity that he would have, essentially as a front office guy, essentially leading change from within the NFL. I think it becomes too easy again to let yourself off the hook well, I, as the I, league. I, to just put him on the roster for a year or two, probably as a backup, never playing again. I think the the question isn't just letting. I I, I see what you're getting at, and I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong in terms of. And I think the idea of getting him involved in that in that coalition process is a fantastic idea, and that really tells that says to the NFL and the owners like, no, we we have to take this seriously because he is a a person who has been toxic. Uh, among owners around the league. I, I just think it doesn't just let owners in the NFL off the hook. I, I worry that it lets too many, I, I referred to this with Michael Lee, it lets too many kind of squishy white people who are a little uncomfortable with what they have to talk about and having these conversations, whatever. And because remember what we did, and we spent so much time focused on what is Colin Kaepernick protesting. It's disrespectful to the flag. It's this, and having to tell people it has something to do with the flag. You might dislike the protest in the form it takes, but don't mischaracterize what he's protesting. I feel like the minute you put Colin Kaepernick on a roster or that you demand he's put on a roster, that you allow people to change the subject to, look, Colin Kaepernick's on a roster. Progress is being made. They got, they got what they wanted. And I realize, and the point you made earlier in the show is a good one, like there will be people who look to jump off anyway, but the easier you make it for them, the more exit ramps you give for those people. I I understand where you're coming from. I just question question whether those people are on the freeway to begin with, using your metaphor with the exit ramps. No, but I I understand that. But like whether you're genuinely there or not, whether you're kind of – halfway there or whatever and you feel like you just kind of have to go along with it because those are the moments of the times that are off that are being offered to you being on there still matters sure and but you'll find and, you'll and find the opportunity you anyway. might you might not but so you should do the easier the easier you make it for people to find excuses and find ways to not ask themselves hard questions or not engage with difficult things the easier you make it for them the more it, it matters. And I, I think, you know, where you put your sort of your stakes and your signposts matter, even if some of it ultimately is performative or symbolic. Symbols I, matter. 
They do matter. I, I have no, again, I have no issue with Kaepernick being on a roster. He certainly earned the right to have been on a roster and he should have been on a roster the last few years. But I do feel like if you are prioritizing putting Kaepernick on a roster as opposed to giving him a voice within the NFL, making him one of the primary right. voices, you are, you are misprioritizing the best way to have Colin Kaepernick whole again. Right. And I, and I, and I think that's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really meaningful thought. But the other thing is that I will say this, and we got to go because, uh, Alden Gonzalez is coming on next. If somebody, if a team wants to put him on a roster and wants sure. to give him a shot and thinks they can really help their team, God's fear, like that's great. I'm talking about this idea that the NFL essentially should make a team. Someone, one of you guys, one of you 32 needs to stand up. Someone's putting him on a roster. Right. It, it, it's like it's the mandated. Way, right. It's like the way people thought the Rams did that years ago with Michael Sam. Correct. Somebody that, that, needs to draft that guy. I don't right. care who it is, but it right. needs to get done. And that, that's the part I, that I think is ultimately, dangerous. Ultimately, I don't think that did Michael Sam favors in the end. I would agree with you. Um, all right. Alden Gonzalez, we'll switch gears here a little bit. Baseball, uh, you think the NF, the NBA, Andy, has uh, run into a couple little hurdles here in its, in its quest to get back onto the court. MLB is a train wreck right now. We'll talk uh, talk about that with Alden Gonzalez of ESPN next. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday morning happy hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. All right, so Andy, uh, Major League, let's see, you know, Major League Soccer, they've got a plan. They'll be coming back next month, uh, playing in Orlando. Orlando, a lot going on there. The NBA, despite, uh, some, some, uh, concerns from players that were expressed yesterday on a conference call, uh, it may be the, the, uh, unanimity in agreeing on the plan to, to come back for this tournament in Orlando at the end of July. Not all there yet, but nobody thinks it's not going to happen at this point. Ultimately, everybody thinks they'll get there. The exception uh, is Major League Baseball. Oh, my God. It seems to be a bit of a train wreck. Um, and trying to figure out what's going what's gonna to happen now, where it's going to go, is no easy task. Joining us right now to do that, though, Alden Gonzalez from ESPN. Um, Alden, you've been kind of following this stuff and figuring out uh, the, all these proposals back and forth. What the hell's happening? <laughs> you know, um, going through that, like you just did with the other sports, mate, reminded me of the time when we thought that baseball was going to be first, that they were going to be sort of like <laughs> the pioneers in this, and they were going to be the only sport out there in the summer. And what a great opportunity for baseball it would have been to be sort of the main attraction during this time. And the fact that we're here, um, where all the other sports are starting to get off the ground, like you said, and we have no idea uh, what baseball will look like or if it will look like anything this year is just it speaks to um, the animosity and the mistrust between the Players Association and the league. And I think it just speaks to how far baseball has fallen and just how gloomy the outlook um, is for the sport right now, not just for this year, but with the CBA expiring at the end of next season. Um, it's just a constant reminder that 
this is what baseball will be for maybe the next two years. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but it looks like it's just going to be a contentious fight over dollars and ego um, this year and next year. And I'm just, I love baseball. I think Carl Ravitch said it best on Twitter the other day. He said, I love baseball. I don't like what Major League Baseball is right now. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm just, as a fan of it and as a journalist who covers it, I'm just very disillusioned with the league in general, to be honest. Hey, Alden, you just said that a lot of this is a battle over money, but also ego. Can you expand on the ego part of it? Yeah, uh, I think I think where we're at right now, um, I don't think it's necessarily about the money anymore. I think I think the root of this, and I've said this before, um, I don't think anything captures uh, where we're at better than the fact that these two sides can't agree specifically on what it is that they agreed on previously. And what I mean by that is that March agreement where players thought that with that March agreement, they were promised full pro-rated salaries. And the, the league and the owners specifically say that, no, you were not promised full pro-rated salaries. That was only under the condition that they would be able to host games with fans. Now the games are being hosted without fans. Um, the economics change, and you need to take more of a pay cut. That's the root of where we're at right now. And I think that the Players Association has, I think it's become something of a rallying cry or a mantra for them where, and and I'm not saying that they're wrong for this. I actually believe that they're entitled to it, where they say that they want full prorated salaries, and they don't want to talk about anything else if it's not full prorated salaries. And that's why every time you, you hear about a proposal for Major League Baseball, You see on Twitter players posting stuff like Andrew McCutcheon where it's just LOL because the players can't understand why the league would propose anything that is not full prorated salaries when they've made it clear that's what they thought they agreed on in March, that's what they're going to settle on, and that's got to be the root of a negotiation. And the league just doesn't agree, which is why I don't think we're going to get anywhere with this, to be honest. Did, Alden, did nobody write this down? I mean, that's the part that I can't figure out. Like, why isn't this on a piece of paper somewhere that somebody can produce and say, this is the, this is the document that we agreed on here. Like, Andy and I, you know, you've done this. Like, you have a preliminary conversation with somebody to do like, like two days worth of yard work or like a contract where you're going to produce, you know, three articles for someone. Like, you write this stuff down. How can there possibly be a disagreement over what they agreed to? There is an agreement. There is a legal binding, legally binding document. Um, but um, to be honest, guys, I don't know. I'm not a. Is it a shrug no emoji? They, I mean, what is what's on the paper? <laughs> yeah, I I think. Um, and th- there's been reporters who have talked to labor lawyers um, on both sides of it, and I don't think they've co- been able to come up with any co- sort of conclusion. But I think. Um, what leaves things open for discussion is that um, the agreement states that they would negotiate in good faith um, if the pandemic uh, changed the economics of baseball. And I think, I don't know, I guess it leaves it a little bit ambiguous. Um, I think that maybe the communication um, from the league to ownership levels and from um, union reps to the players um, is what is what changed this. But the only thing that I know is that players were certain um, coming off that March agreement that they were going to get full prorated salaries and that they agreed to that. And the owners are certain that um, the full prorated salaries were only on the basis of them 
um, not being in this situation, which is hosting games without fans, which, which just it befuddles me because I remember in March when they agreed to this, um, a lot of the talk about sports in general was that teams were going to be hosting games without fans. I mean, I think, right. I think that was, I don't know if it was clear, but I think that was definitely something that was in our conscience in March that, like, yeah, this is a real possibility. Start getting used to that. So that's the thing that I really can't get around. And it's why, it's why the players are so upset, because they feel like with each proposal, um, Major League Baseball is just sort of, and this is just the way that they feel, but they believe that baseball is just sort of delaying the inevitable so that they could impose what they want and what they have the right to do, which is right. a very short season with full prorated salaries. And I think barring some um, last-minute say from either side, what we're going to end up getting is a 48- to 50-game season. The players will get that full prorated salary, but the union will not agree to expanded playoffs, which is their right, and there's going to be a grievance uh, hovering overhead. So we're going to have something that's not even close to a full season. We're not going to get the expanded playoffs, which would have been fun, and then we're going to have um, the, um, a legal battle ha- hanging overhead, leading into, by the way, um, the ex- expiration of the next CBA. So that's fun time. fun. Hey, Alden, you know what they used to call before the pandemic? You know what they used to call games without fans? A Marlins game. I feel like Hi-oh. Uh, I thought you um, I thought you were going to make a Chargers joke, but I, I kind of nope. knew where you were going there. But the, the <laughs> and we're talking to Alden Gonzalez the, uh, of ESPN. The owners say they're going to lose $640,000 for every game that's played without fans. The players don't believe them. Could this be solved if you ripped open the books and the owners actually showed them everything? Or at this point, would players not even believe them? Um, I don't think that players would believe them. Um, some of the players I've spoken to have clamored for them to open the books. Um, my understanding is that they've gotten some semblance of the numbers, but it's not necessarily a full accounting of what it's supposed to be. So, I mean, these are private companies, um, and so they don't have to open up their books. I don't think they're going to open up their books, and that's why I don't think that part of it um, is going to get anywhere. So, but the, um, one thing that I, I think is important to point out here, um, you, you'll hear uh, every time um, the Players Association uh, makes a proposal for more games, whether it's 114 games, whether it's 86 games, you'll see the league come back and it's significantly shorter. And there's a really good reason for that. They need the season to end on September 27th um, because they need, first of all, they don't want to, it seems like their broadcast partners, um, it will be a lot more difficult for them to sort of change their broadcast schedule in October to fit the to fit postseason programming. But I think um to, to an even greater extent, the fear of the second wave of the coronavirus pandemic um, makes owners fearful of not getting the postseason off the ground. And the sort of doomsday scenario uh, for the league, for the owners, is that they would host these games without fans. Uh, they would be paying players full or close to full prorated salary. They'd be losing whatever amount of money that is by doing so, and it varies per team, I'm sure. Um, if it's 650000 on average, if it's more or less, I'm not sure. Um, and then they wouldn't get the windfall of the revenue from the expanded postseason. This year, more than any other year, the TV, the TV revenue that's going to come from an expanded postseason, or any postseason for that matter, is huge for the league. And that's why every deal you see for Major League Baseball, it's, okay, you're guaranteed this much if there's a regular season, and then it bumps up to this much if we get the playoffs. And I think 
if they keep going back and forth, and I'm not sure if they will, every proposal from the league is going to have that protection in place where it's like, this is for the regular season, and then you get a little bit more in the postseason. You're not going to get it all um, because they have to guard against, they feel like they need to guard against not having a postseason. Alden Gonzalez, ESPN. Uh, thank you so much for breaking this down. It is um, it's a mess, incredibly Alden. frustrating. It's so it's a total mess for baseball fans. It is a mess. It really is, and it makes me really. Um, it, may, it makes me really worried about the state of game in baseball. The, the, just the state of baseball that was already slipping from the national conscience, and then just having this happen during this time. It's just. It's really the worst thing that could happen to the sport. All right. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Alden Gonzalez of ESPN. Andy, um, let's switch here. We, have, we actually didn't get a chance to talk at, at, at all yet about uh, Reggie Bush. I want to ask you about that before we get back into the NBA. And, of course, a uh, hugely controversial move by a major national fast food chain. And we, we have to talk about that as well. We'll do all of that coming up before 11 o'clock. It's the Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. It was between the brothers, King. This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. All right, Andy, um, I am not necessarily a KFC guy. Um, it's not where I'm going to go for my fried chicken. They do make a mean pot pie if you're in, in the mood for that. And the one on La Brea has Wednesdays to get them for cheap. Nice. But they've made a very... Very controversial choice here, uh, and the the people who are dedicated to KFC for their food needs are angry. They have replaced the wedge potato, like the wedge fry. They're, KFC is kind of famous for that. They're one of the only places where you can go get a wedge fry. They've replaced them, apparently, these seasoned wedges with what looked to me, at least in the picture, like regular fries with just like a little seasoning kick to them. And people are not happy about it. Uh, they've made a big change during this time of unrest and upheaval and pandemic, and it's really unnerving people. Now's not the time. I'm just being honest. Now is not the time when people are seeking out comfort, and comfort can be found in familiarity and food. This is not the time to throw people for another loop. There are so many loops that people are currently in, engaged in right now. Like Life has become one big loop. And right. The only thing I can count on, Andy, is to go to KFC and get myself some damn wedge fries because it's the only place where I can get I, them. I'm just saying, like, this is not the time to be removing things that people turn to to feel just a slight bit of comfort, to feel just a right. slight bit more at ease. And I, like say this is, I, like, yeah. I say this is I say this is somebody who has not been inside a KFC in a good five to 10 years. It's not the right time. But there's like, somebody somewhere who's just like, I, it's too much. I, I'm, honey, I'm going to the drive-thru. I'm going to get some wedge fries. And they get there and they'll be like, oh, crap. They're gone. Yeah. And they're, they're gone. They're gone. They're like you, you can get French fries anywhere. There are a lot of places where you can get French fries. You cannot get wedge fries, which actually does beg the question, like where does wedge rank? In all of I your like fry them. shapes – I like them. But they're hard, they're hard to pull off. It's very easy to have sort of a mushy, underdone wedge fry. Not if you KFC. You can, they know what yeah. they're doing. I mean, if you leave it to the professionals, and that's been their wheelhouse for a long time, they know what they're doing. I mean, just because yeah. you 
I, I don't know when the right time would be just because, again, we are in unprecedented times and it's and very... Always, you're always going to upset people when you take stuff off the menu. Right. I mean, you know, but I can just say now's not the right time. I don't know when do the you, right uh, time would be. It's just not now. Where do you put waffle? The waffle fry. They're good. I think that, cause I think that's the best one. I think that's the most underrated fry shape. I don't think they're underrated. Honestly, I think it's actually kind of hipster to say they're underrated. Who doesn't like waffle fries? I think that's actually, I think that's kind of a, well, Brian, but only, but like, kind of a forced, does them. that's a forced take. It's a very forced take. Uh, it's a hot, it's a hot take. It's, it, a hot it's take. yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's, it's fire. It's a fire take, Andy. Yeah. That's a fake fire you're just emoji. Mad. On you're your just part. mad. No, it's they really are the best. More places should have waffles. No, no, that there's the only un- place that does it. That they're underrated, though. They're not underrated. I think everyone loves the market. Fries. Says they're underrated. Then why Scarce- don't more places have them? I don't know. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're also difficult to pull off. I don't know. I'm just saying. I think everyone likes waffle fries. That's my point. Well, we'll see about that. Um, Reggie no, Bush don't. was. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Bush was. But don't. Don't negate my take. <laughs> Don't why that's my truth that I'm trying to live. Okay. Um Reggie Bush was invited back to uh to USC the the first moment that they were able to allow him back, basically allow him back on campus after ten years. Um you're a USC alum. Yeah. What is the yeah, what does this actually mean for you for the football program and all that going forward? Because obviously it was made a big deal. It's a long, long, long time coming. I mean, this, this should have been handled a long time ago. USC should have at some point actually fought the NCAA on this. They should have risked the wrath of the NCAA. They should have found more ways to acknowledge, if nothing else, acknowledge Reggie Bush. Like acknowledge that Reggie Bush is a human being walking the planet that at one point played Really, really great football for USC um, because it, this this Kabuki theater that everybody was engaged in that we don't know who Reggie Bush is. Reggie Bush was never here. It's ridiculous and it's insulting to him, particularly at a time when public sentiment was trending towards Reggie Bush didn't do anything that bad to begin with. This was a victimless crime, if you want to even refer to it as a crime. You know, Reggie Bush did more for USC, you know, than certainly to warrant uh, outrage over his family getting benefits. And I'm just glad to see this happen, even if it was far too late. Well, it's so funny, too, because like you say, like it almost every time any the NCAA did anything to anyone, uh, it was always it became this sort of thing that was hung around this yoke around their neck of like, wait, USC got that. Because of Reggie Bush and like North Carolina is having everybody like cheat on their exams and this massive academic fraud and they got like a, a relative slap on the wrist for it. Like the, the, the NCAA ended up creating horrible problems for themselves by trying to make such a huge example out of USC. Well, I, I, I always thought, I thought this at the time and I still think this now. They were trying to use USC as an example that they thought would scare the bejesus out of the rest of these other major programs. It was like the equivalent of that show Scared Straight, where right. kids, you know, on a on a wayward, troubled path 
would get brought to a prison and they would spend the night in the prison and all these convicts would scare the crap out of them and they'd eventually scream at them. It was very powerful television. Right. They would get just, it worked on me at least. Yeah. They would get screamed at for like, you know, 30 minutes of television time. And eventually these kids would uh, see the error of their ways. I, I think the NCAA thought that so many other programs would get frightened by the hammer getting dropped on USC that they wouldn't do the, the stuff that creates violations as it turned out, what had happened is all these other schools kept doing the shady stuff that always happens. They just didn't give double middle fingers to the NCAAs when when, when they got caught like USC. Right. And also, the NCAA underestimated the trending public sentiment, again, that athletes should be compensated in the first place. Yeah. They, under, they uh, underestimated both of these things. Exactly. And there was, you know, it's just the whole thing was a mess. And it's, it's good for USC. Uh, it's good, great for Reggie Bush, who was really yeah. wants to engage in, in the USC community again. Oh, speaking of TV shows, by the way, the other thing that happened this week, Cops was canceled. What was your reaction when you found out Cops was canceled? I hadn't, I thought Cops had been canceled like 10 to 15 years At ago. At least 10 or 15. Like, like it was, it apparently, like a bunch of people, because I tweeted that reaction out, like Cops is still on the air. Yes. And a bunch of people tweeted back at me at Cam Brothers, you apparently have a day job. Because it's been on for, I think it was 31 years. 32. 32 years. 32 seasons that show ran. But it had shifted towards daytime as opposed to, I think, ah. I think I remember it at least being on at night. Or maybe those I, were the repeats and syndication. I don't know. But the new episodes were on during the day. And as people correctly pointed out, and I'm very grateful for this, I have a day job. Yes. So I have, I have not been have, watching a lot of cops. Seven, you have seven days. It's jobs. true. I, I had and a couple at night. I mean, cops to me felt like a very antiquated, problematic show. <laughs> well before right. what we're I, dealing with now. I don't. I, I don't. It's, it, it is. It says something about America that, like, oh, like it only took this for people to look at that show and go, hmm, maybe I mean, not. There, maybe there not. Have been a lot of objectionable actions and episodes of police oh brutality god. before this. I mean, right. Oh my god. I just I Dang, had no yeah. idea it was still on. I had the same reaction I often have when I read that somebody died and I go, "Oh, that's very sad. I had no idea they were alive." Yeah. Um, it's very similar. Um all right. So, uh NBA players are uh pushing back a little bit, some of them at least on this restart plan in Orlando that's supposed to happen at the end of July, we'll tell you how threatened the start of the NBA restart will be. We'll do that next. Kamenetsky Brothers, it's the Saturday Morning Happy Hour, 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. With the Cam Bros. All right, getting near the end of another Saturday happy hour here on 710 ESPN. Uh, two of them, Andy. We're still here. Yeah. <laughs> they, haven't, they, haven't, uh, they haven't decided to kick us off again yet, so that's good. And, the, of course, the late night happy hour, you can hear every night, every weeknight from 10 to 11 uh, on ESPNLosAngeles.com, the Twitter feed and the Periscope feed. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting that show as well. Um, Friday was a big day, Andy, in this uh, in the saga of the NBA restart. What had seemed like a really smooth process got a little rocky as more players essentially got involved. I think maybe uh, as a as a whole, we didn't realize 
how few players had weighed in with some of their concerns. And they really run the gamut. It's from using their voices at this time. Is this the right time to be playing basketball rather than leveraging uh, for more racial and social justice? What about injuries? What about COVID? What about the, the rules of the bubble? I, you know, I wonder, if this, is this just people getting closer to actually having to do the thing? Or does it actually jeopardize games being played? I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like ultimately there's been enough energy moving everyone towards playing. But maybe that was just the assumption all along before things started bubbling up. It's interesting. Sean uh, Devaney, a longtime NBA writer, has a piece up at Forbes about how this this latest development uh, with Kyrie Irving at, at the center speaking for a lot of players with their concerns, the ones that you raised, if nothing else, could expose a rift within the union. And yes. that's really interesting in the sense that we've been talking so much about how basketball would eventually restart because there's been such a great negotiating relationship between the union and the league. Because that's usually that's usually where the snags happen. You know, the, the idea that the, we're seeing this with baseball, that the league and the players are so adversarial towards each other, that hasn't been the case with the NBA. But it would be really interesting if there's actually well, been resentment brewing within the union itself we've seen that but we've seen that though after the last cba we've yes. seen that thing yes. where like there were the middle class of the nba that's not a new thing where people are upset and think it's too star driven you know it was too much concern about max contracts and and you know the the mid-level exception isn't as generous in terms of you know as a percentage as it used to be and some of those kind of mid-tier contracts for more mid-tier players aren't what they once were. And I think that's true. And, but like, that's not the entire reason that some of those guys find it hard to get a mid-level exception to get some of the, some of that's just analytics. Some of that's numbers. Like we, we used to sit there and every year go through the list of players. Like that was a terrible signing at the mid-level. That was a ter like every mid-level exception contract that was ever signed between like 1998 and 2014 was terrible, like all of them. And I think, you know, as we started to understand more about player value and contributions and stuff like that, it's been harder for players to kind of get overpaid in that way. You're either kind of a max guy, a near max guy, or you're kind of not. Um, they feel, you know, I think the feeling is that your contributions can be replaced in other ways. And for that reality to kind of run into the reality of everything that's going on right now with this potential pandemic tournament, it's another layer that guys will have to work through. There's no perfect solution to any of it. But the money stuff among each other is much more awkward than the what's the best way for all of us to use our voice collectively together. I feel like that's an easier problem to solve than the structural money questions that might be underlying some of this. Yeah, I mean, there was an interesting uh, report from Chris Haynes uh, at Yahoo that Donovan Mitchell, who was apparently one of the louder voices on this uh, call that happened yesterday among NBA players, that he's heading into a contract year and he's concerned yep. that he he's concerned that he could get injured during this very unusual set of circumstances with camp starting, uh, you know, sort of a faux training camp starting back up after this long absence and trying to cram in as much basketball as possible, that he could get hurt and end up undercutting what is all 
expected to be a max deal. He is a no-brainer a no, for a max, no brainer deal. max deal. Right, probably exactly. that's one even if he does get hurt. But he, like, might, you can he might. But you understand what you're worried because COVID sure, but, is COVID's probably. Would you agree, Andy? COVID, I think, is actually a smaller health concern than a guy hurting himself because they're ramping it up too quickly. Honestly, too many games and they're not. Honestly, ready for I don't. It. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know enough about COVID, particularly in an experiment. That's like fair, that but it's certainly. My, I think it's plausible. It, it's that, certainly. It's plausible but where where i was going with this isn't even so much illustrating donovan mitchell's concerns is how difficult it's going to be for somebody like donovan mitchell you know reportedly or other players like him if that's their concern the optics of potentially being worried about that at this particular moment when players are debating whether or not they should be playing because it's appropriate to be playing in any other year you would look at Donovan Mitchell and say, okay, I get it, because all players go through this in contract years, that concern about getting injured. It's why certain guys don't play in the Olympics, because they're heading into a contract year, and they're concerned that they could undercut their value for their next negotiation. It's going to be, it will be difficult for Donovan Mitchell, I think, to have those type of concerns. I would be worried, frankly, if I were him, that, that it got out now. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't think that Mitchell has anything to be ashamed of. But in terms no, of, in terms all, of, yeah. the, in terms of the idea of, is it appropriate to be playing because there are bigger issues going on right now? The smaller issues are going to perceive, be perceived a millionaire's next millionaire contract, like multimillionaire. Right, right. And that's I mean, tough. That, that's really that's, tough. And, and you know, we don't have enough time to really go deep into it. But like, you know, labor, which is the players, has always. It's weird, and maybe it'll change now with the environment we're in, but people have always had less sympathy for players in these labor disputes in sports than you would think, uh, given that we are all, most of us are labor. We're not, we're not management. You'd think we'd sympathize more with them, but you know, it's, there's a lot. And I, I, I feel for these guys who are trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, particularly as it relates to using this place where we are so empowered in ways that we've never been before. Is our voice more important if they're not playing games um, because the games are a distraction? Or is our voice more, are we able to more effectively communicate a message if we're playing on the floor? I kind of think it's the latter, but I don't know. And I certainly have no place to tell these guys what's appropriate or inappropriate, right or wrong. Yeah, I, I can I can see the argument either way. And what also makes it difficult is just you don't know what the moment's going to feel like in late July. Like, it, it, it may pass even if the players don't play. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, you might find yourself in a situation where you might as well have played because for whatever reason, we as a collective nation, we as a collective world started looking other places. Yeah, so you don't know. It's, it's the opposite problem of the, uh, you know, why do we bother playing those last three or four games before the the pandemic shut everything down, it's like hindsight. None of that needed to happen, and so yeah, it, it's it's impossible to figure out the right thing. And I, I respect what they're trying to go through, even if Kyrie Irving is a strange messenger uh, for for the message. Um, Monday late night happy hour with the Kamenetsky brothers. Josiah Johnson will join us. That should be a really fun show. He's and an amazing we'll be, Twitter follow. Yeah, absolutely. So look out for that, and we will be back next week. More Saturday. Morning happy hour with Kamenetsky Brothers, 710 ESPN.